Hey, what a great weekend it is, and uh, praise God, you heard the update about um, our Flip Camp Week, 27 kids wanting to be baptized. How many praise God for life change, and thank you for all of you who uh, helped with matching funds to spur on our kids' generosity. What an amazing, amazing week it's already been. And this week that's coming up is going to be absolutely incredible as well as we celebrate the 4th of July, our independence. Thank you to those who have served for our freedoms. How many have ever heard that freedom isn't free? And so this ability we have to gather together in freedom is a gift. But the greatest freedom is our spiritual freedom for whom the Son of man has set free is what? Free indeed. And praise God for the freedom we have in Jesus and the ability to celebrate. As I think about this week, I realize it's a great week and I pray that you'll be able to enjoy some food and some fun with those you love most, your family and friends. But I also want to say this is a hard week for those of us who suffer with the social condition known as FOMO. Anybody ever heard of this before? F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. It is triggered most acutely when you are scrolling through your social media feed, seeing people that you love posting vacation pics of the awesome places they are while you've chosen to stay home in sunny Michigan this week, right? And you're thinking about all these places that you wish you were vacationing at some beach, some sunny place. But it's not all bad. Some good conversations come out of it. Like the conversation I had with my oldest daughter yesterday, we were, uh, she kind of saw me sitting on the edge of my bed, kind of daydreaming about places that I wish I could be. And she said, what are you thinking about? I said, I'm thinking about places I would wish to visit one day. And in the midst of the conversation, she asked me a question, uh, and, and we started talking about what, what was our favorite place that we've been? And it's hard to narrow it down to just one place. The Lord has been kind to us. We've been able to visit uh, a number of places. I thought about the beautiful landscapes that I've seen in places like South Africa or when we visited uh, Hawaii. Anybody ever been to a place where it felt like uh, the sky was a canvas and God was a master artist and he painted such a beautiful horizon that you looked at it and just were in awe of God and the beauty of all that he's created. Anybody ever experienced that before? I thought about the incredible art that we've uh, seen in places like Paris, the history that we experienced in Ethiopia, the literature that I uh, was able to encounter, the Bodleian Library in Oxford, England. I thought about wonderful food that I've eaten in places like Budapest, Hungary, or in Charleston, South Carolina. That seafood was absolutely amazing. But as we begin to think about places we've been, I begin to think about places I would long to see. Anybody got some vacation spots you'd love to go to? And as I thought about places I would love to see, Rome and the great cities of Asia and, and Egypt even, I begin to think about the fact that as much as I long to see those cities, there is a city that I long for even greater, 
There's a place that I long to see even greater, and I hope you do as well. It is the eternal city of God. And that's what our team read about and sang about, what we just lifted our voices about, that there is a city that is far greater than the cities of men, than the cities of earth, a city whose builder and maker is the Lord. How many can't wait to see and experience the eternal city of God? And that's what we get to study about today. So I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And if you are one of those kids out there, I, I think if you fill this out, your parents buy you whatever you ask for. I think that's how it works. I'm not sure. That's just a joke. I don't want to get in trouble. But uh, maybe you'll get some ice cream or something good. Uh, but but the title is The True Eternal City, The True Eternal City. And here's the big idea. We are called to long for and live to enter the city of God. We are called to long for and live to enter into the city of God. Before I dive into the text, let me just remind you of why the book of Revelation is given in the first place. Revelation comes to an original audience, so the Bible is timeless, it is also timely. That means that it is applicable to every generation of believers, but it was given to an original audience. And that original audience living in John's day was suffering enormous persecution. And I've tried to remind you there's two reasons why this book of Revelation was given. It was a revelation of Jesus and the ultimate victory of God, the promise of God for his ultimate victory and triumph over sin and Satan and death and all that is evil. And it's given first to birth within us endurance, Christian endurance, because just like our first century brothers and sisters, we too experience the brokenness of a fallen world. We experience injustice and pain. We experience death and sin and corruption. But there is a promise of the ultimate victory of God where sin and death and Satan will be defeated. And we then can hold on. We can endure you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, with a vision of the eternal city in his heart, said these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, I am convinced that this light and momentary affliction cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory that is reserved for us. There's an eternal weight of glory. There's an eternal city that is waiting for us. Now, Paul, in comparison to that eternal city, that glimpse of what we get a chance to study about, what we heard read about, it was so overwhelming to his heart that in comparison to that, he looked at his suffering and he called it light and momentary. Now, later on in that same book, he describes the suffering that he had been through. He had been beaten. He had been shipwrecked. He had been imprisoned. He was stoned almost to death all for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't label that type of suffering light and momentary. But Paul said that that type of suffering, as well as our suffering, the brokenness, the mistreatment, Again, the injustice, the things that we experience in this world compared to the eternal city and the promise of God, when you really get a glimpse of it, is light and momentary. 
But this passage, this book is not just meant to give us endurance, but to birth within us a longing, a living hope. A hope for something beyond this age. Whenever this world disappoints or fails to live up to your expectations, know that that is a good thing because that sting of disappointment is only a reminder to you that you were made for something beyond this world. And I think that we forget sometimes that we are not citizens primarily of this world, but we are citizens of the eternal city that we have read about. We are ambassadors from that city meant to proclaim the glories of that city to those who are here so that they might put their faith and their trust in God. Friends, there are things that the church stopped preaching about a long time ago that I think we need to start preaching about again. I've been thinking about this a lot. I remember how many are old enough in this room to remember when the church used to preach about sin? Anybody remember that? That means you're older like me. I remember when the church used to say the Bible is right and to do what is opposite of that is sin and to call people to repentance, to turn from sin back to God. How many believe the church needs to get back to preaching that message again? I think the church needs to get back to preaching about the return of Christ again. How many of you agree with me on that? I remember the first time I heard somebody preach about the rapture. It was a little bit over 32 years ago. Here I am, 15, just turning 16, barely able to drive. And this pastor is going on and on about the return of Jesus. And I'm saying to myself, wait till prom happens first. I want to go to prom. I want to graduate from college. I want to get married. And now I've been to all those things. 30 plus years later, I'm saying, come Lord Jesus come. Anybody with me out there? How many think we need to get back to that? I think the church needs to get back to preaching about heaven again. It is sad that many have never got a glimpse of heaven, never studied these glorious passages. I met a man in between services and he says, I've been a Christian for a long time but this is the first message I've ever heard on the new Jerusalem, the eternal city of God. And if you don't have a picture of that eternal city, you'll be tricked into thinking that this world is the best God has to offer us. But friends, there is far better, and this is what we read about today. There are three elements that make this city so glorious. The first is the layout of the city. In verse number 9, the angel of the Lord says to John, who pins this passage, I want to show you the bride, and we are the bride. The church is the bride of Christ, and we become the bride of Christ, not through works or our own merits, but because we have turned to him for forgiveness by faith. Salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to the scriptures alone. Amen? But we who have trusted in him, we are the bride of Christ. And then in verse 10, he takes him, he carries him to a place where he can see the city that was prepared for the bride. 
Oh, you remember those of you who know the words of Jesus in John chapter 14? He says to them, I go to prepare a place for you. And one day you will be with me where I am. You will be with me. This is the place that our Savior prepared for us. This is the new Jerusalem. And there's a sympathy I have for John, the revelator, John who wrote this vision down. Can you imagine John trying to describe the indescribable? limited to the accommodation of mere words. But that's what we have here as he describes every gemstone that he sees in the place. Streets of gold. I've never seen streets of gold. Maybe you have before. I've never seen them. I long to see this place. But he wants us to know something, and I believe the Spirit of God wants us to know something today, and that is this is a real city. This is not mythology. As Peter the apostle said, we have not believed cunningly devised fables. All throughout this book, it continues to remind us that this is real. I love what C.S. Lewis, the, the uh, creative writer and Christian apologist says. He, he wrote uh, fantastic stories. He, he wrote in mythology. He said this once when, when asked about this particular book. He says, I know the difference between mythology and the real thing. I'm a writer in mythology. And he says, when I encounter the Bible, it is no mythology, it is real. Why do we know this? It is because of the meticulous detail that's given here. Why measure the city? Well, I would imagine in part to give engineers, the engineers in the room, a reason to say hallelujah. But he measures the city out with precision for the same reason the Bible gives us dates and times, and lands, and the name of kings, and cities. It is the earmarks of reality, and it's an invitation to investigate, to say, look into these pages, this is real. And this is no made up or mythological measurement. Look at verse number 17. He says, he also measured its walls, 144 cubits, by human measures, measurement. This is him measuring in a way that we, or more specifically, his original audience could understand. This original audience would have been well-versed in the Torah, what we call our Old Testament. And he is picking up here on the writings of the apostle, Eze I'm sorry, the uh, prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 40 and 41, I encourage you to read Ezekiel chapters 40 and 41 to understand about this eternal city more. Now, there are two words that describe this eternal city. The first word we see in verse number 10, it is a holy city, the holy city, Jerusalem. And then in verse number 11, we read these words, having the glory of God. It is a holy city. It is a glory field or glorious city. 
What does these words mean? Well, to be holy means to be set apart. It means to be pure in this context. It means to be absent or devoid of corruption or pollution or sin or anything that would taint or defile it. You see, friends, this is what makes this city different than the great cities of our world. With all due respect, this is no New York. This is not London. This is not Paris that is so known in spite of its beauty for pollution or for violence or for crime or for corruption. No, that is the way you describe the cities of men. But the city of God knows no pain. It knows no evil. It knows no brokenness because God is in the city and his holiness purifies and it makes makes it glorious. I hope that you haven't fallen in love so much with the cities of this world that your heart has stopped longing for the city of God. Remember what he told us to pray. Remember in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, in teaching his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for the eternal city. Pray that your heart will be more attached to that city than it is to these cities. Our hearts yearn for utopia. There have been madmen and false prophets who have tried to promise a utopia to separate somehow from the hustle and the bustle of the city to build a following, a cult-like following, promising them utopia only to fail. We're in election cycles every few years, it seems, where politicians will stand before us and promise us policies that are meant to get us a little bit closer to utopia. And some of those policies will succeed. Many of them will not accomplish what was promised. And it's because only God can deliver on the eternal city. Only God can deliver on the new Jerusalem. And here John is trying to feverishly pin what is a mind-blowing description in verses 11 through 21. The glory of the city is because God is there. Don't miss the point. The glory of the city is the glory of God and the Lamb. But he doesn't stop at the layout of the city, but he goes on to the light of the city. These next few verses are so beautiful. But but I want you to see the peculiar way he starts in verse number 22. He starts not by describing what is there. It's almost as if in the midst of his description of what's there, he pauses and notices what's missing, what's not there. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
He's writing about all the beautiful things that he's seen, these gates of solid pearl where each uh, gate has the names of the tribes of Israel written on them, all 12 tribes written. And then he looks at the foundation of the city and its walls and the 12 names of the apostles are engraved here. And don't miss that. That's not thrown in superfluously. There is no waste in the economy of words in the scriptures. It is in to tell us that there is one people of God. The Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God are brought together in the city of God because there is but one way to salvation. It's through faith in Christ. And as we have put our faith in him, we are brought together as the eternal family of God to live in that eternal city. And as he is describing the beauty of it, he pauses and he says, but where is the temple? The temple that marked Israel. The temple, the center place of worship. But why was the temple given in the first place? The temple was given so that Israel, the people of God, might experience a taste of God's presence. And in this temple, beyond the outer court and the inner court, there is the holies of holies. If you remember the Old Testament layout of the temple, but only a few were allowed in the holies of holies. With their faces covered, with their shoes off, only at the appointed times, but not in this city. In this city, we all get a chance to experience the glorious presence of God as it radiates throughout the entire city. There is no need for a temple because God is fully present with his people there. And then he notices there's no sun, there's no moon in this city. But yet it is lit. It is radiant. As a matter of fact, it is so lit that there is no night. And what lights it? Well, Jesus has already told us that I am the light of the world. He lights the city. And so there is no need. It's, it's kind of like when John the Baptist's disciples approach Jesus and says, why aren't your disciples fasting in Matthew 9? And Jesus responds, do the, do the wedding party, does the wedding party mourn when the bridegroom is there? No, they don't mourn. But there's a time where they will fast when I will go away. But listen, while I'm here, there's no need for fasting. While he's here, there's no need for a sun. There's no need for a moon. There's no need for lamps because he is the lamp. He is the sun. He is the light that lights up the city. He is the centerpiece of the city. And I long for this. I long for it more than I long to visit the Caribbean, long that I, more than I long to visit Egypt uh, or the great cities of Asia or Hawaii, all of these places. I don't know where you want to visit. I know there's still some places on earth I would love to vacation. I, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I want to soak it all in. But I don't think for one minute that those places exceed what I know to be true here. There is a greater city that is coming, and I can't wait to be a part of that city. And then... In verse 24, he goes on to say, 
by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. Now think about this. The kings of the earth are coming into this city. They're bringing their glory, laying it down at the feet of the lamb. All our crowns are laid down at his feet. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. Next verse, verse 25, and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And don't worry about the gates remaining open. There won't be crime because it will have the greatest security you've ever imagined is an angel at every gate. So you don't have to worry about thieves coming in or robbers coming in because it will be secure. We are secure in him. There is no safe place this side of heaven, but there is a safe person. His name is Jesus. And then it goes on in verse 26. It says, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. I spent time studying this, this verse because I'm saying, Lord, what does this mean? That they will bring into the gates of the city the glory and the honor of the nations. And what a marvelous thought this is, in particular for those of you who ask, what will happen to all of the glorious, beautiful things that God, by his spirit, inspired humanity to create. What will happen to the great art that was created to the glory of God? The music, the poetry, will all of that be done away with? No, the answer is all of the glory of the nations, the most glorious parts of the nations will be brought in. All of the honor of the nations will be brought in. This echoes of what we saw in the flood narrative where God, when he is sending his his judgment doesn't destroy it all, but he preserves the best of what it is, and he brings in here into this eternal city the greatest of everything, but it is renewed. It is at its optimal appearance, at its optimal place, and it is brought in. The glory of the nations are preserved in this eternal city. God is both creator and curator. He preserves what is great, but then this warning passage, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life that is written for your soul and my soul. It is written to provoke us to ask the question, have I secured my admission into the eternal city? And how do you get into the eternal city? There is no travel agency you can call. There is no price you can pay. There is no check you can write. There is no good deed that you can do that gets you, grants you admission. God does not give it based off of ethnic heritage. He doesn't give it based off of your last name. He has no grandchildren, so it means that there is no way of getting in just because your mother was a follower of Jesus or your father was a follower of Jesus. No, you have to choose Jesus yourself. You and I secure our mission into the eternal city of God by accepting his finished work on the cross, the sinless lamb of God who died the death of a sinner to pay our sin debt that was overwhelming to us that we could not pay. 
He paid it. And on the third day, just as he predicted, he rose from the grave with all power in his hand and salvation belongs to him and him alone. And we who trust in him can partake of this eternal city. I hope, like me, your heart is stirred and you want to be there. Well, he closes by talking to us about the life that's in the city. Look at what he says in verse number one of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Jump down to the middle of verse number two. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree are for, were for the healing of the nations. And it causes me to pause as we conclude the message and to consider the question, what excites you the most about this city? He's just described some pretty amazing things. He described all these gemstones, streets of gold. Maybe it's this, this river, this river whose water is so clear that to John it looked like crystal. I think about the most beautiful body of water that I've seen, and, and we've traveled, but I gotta be honest with you, I, I'm pretty impressed with uh, maybe you've been before to Torch Lake. Anybody ever been to Torch Lake before? Man, that, that is like a beautiful body of water. I'm thinking to myself, why am I paying all this money to fly places? I can drive up the street and save a few dollars and go right outside of Traverse City. It's this beautiful body of water. But this river is far better because with every sip, life enters into you. And then this tree, maybe this tree of life that harkens us back to the Genesis narrative, maybe this is what intrigues you most, the most vibrant fruit you have ever seen, papayas and mangoes and pineapples. Think about the most vibrant fruit you've ever seen. It is even greater. It's even greater. It seems to indicate that maybe we'll be vegetarians there, and I'm going to pray God change my heart so that I can, Lord, help me prepare for that. But these leaves, think about the, the, the greatest lettuce you've ever had, far better than iceberg, far better than romaine. With each leaf you, you bite, it is bringing life and healing into you. This is amazing. This is what awaits us. But the greatest thing about this city it's not the tree. It's not the river. It's not the streets of gold, the gates of pearl. You know what it is? It is the fact that he says in the next verse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Praise be to our God for this great city. Everyone stand. The question is, are you going there? Well, how do you know if you're going? Well, he says his servants will worship him. Are you a worshiper? 
Have you traded living for your own pleasure with living for His? And I know there are things that challenge our worship. I've experienced what it is to go through death and loss and disappointment and all of those things are the enemy trying to say, stop worshiping God. But how many have made a decision that from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, that the name of the Lord is to be praised? How many have made that choice? And if today you have never, if today you have never given your heart to Jesus, let today be the day of salvation. Bow your heart to him and say, Lord, save me now. And we would love to pray with you. There'll be leaders in the front. Some of us will be in the lobby. But don't get this close and miss your opportunity to experience a personal relationship with the one who loves you most.